Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people who do amazing things. And today I have pole dancing instructor, artist, uh, lover of gothic stories, yep. uh, and PhD candidate, Krista uh, Kolejavis. Thanks for coming to the podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. I'm, okay. I'm very excited. I, I know, I, I, I mean, you do so many things, but I want to start with, like, I guess the lowest hanging fruit is the, is the pole thing. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Why did you decide to do it? Um, I've been polling for about nine years. Um, oh, wow. Here in the city. So quite a while. I, um, yeah, I was at, um, way back when we used to have the Everything to Do with Sex Show. Right. Well, isn't, what the, it, it still happens, right? Every January, kind of? But it's called yeah. a different name now? I think it was gone for a while, and then new, oh, pe- new people took oh, it over. okay. Because, um, yeah, I went to it this year, and it was, like, new organizers and a new board and everything. So it was a little different than what it used to be. But, oh, okay. Um, it was still fun. So, I yeah, I saw a promo there um, to take, like, an intro to pole class. And I was like, cool. Um, I'm going to try this thing because it looks like fun. Um, so I tried it, and my first experience was not where I'm at now. Um, so it was a different studio. Unfortunately, it was not a good experience. Oh, oh. Um, so. Uh, well, well, okay, I got to ask. What was the not-so-good experience? At the time, I was I was quite a bit bigger, and I wasn't strong or anything like that. So I thought it would be a cool way to get into fitness. Um, but they seemed only interested in people that already had six packs. Um, so they completely <laughs> ignored me and the other curvy girls. Um, and they only approached the really fit girls at the end of class and were like, you should take this class. And I was like, oh, so apparently this isn't for me. Oh. Um, so I was really deterred by that. And I had this thing in my head where I was like, you know, you can't pole dance unless you're fit and skinny and, right, and right, everything. Right. And it's, um, yeah, so I, I, about a year later, I decided to try a class somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to try this thing again because it looks like fun and I really want to try it. And it was a whole different experience. It was a very positive, uh, very inclusive experience. And I fell in love with it from there. So um, um, it's in S Studio. It's um, on Dresden Row right above Pete's Fruitique. So that's where I, I am now. And it's a really wonderful, like, inclusive community that's very welcoming. Um, they don't care your background. They don't care how fit you are. And they don't care if you end up competing on a national stage or if you just want to go for fun every week. Okay. So. so it's so many things to break down there. But let's start with what did you love about it? Like, what specifically did you love about pole? Uh, you're exercising without feeling like you're exercising. Oh, right. Because you're like... Yeah, it's fun, right? So you end up burning a lot of calories and like getting like a lot of muscles without even realizing that's what you're doing. Mm. So it's uh, that's why I kept with it. And then when I started doing grad school, it was a really good way to balance sitting down all day. <laughs> um, so it was like that hour where you're getting up and doing something else. Right. Um, and it kind of just like reset your brain so that when you went back to schoolwork, it was much better you just kind of needed that time away so it it balanced like the mental health aspects of grad school being really really difficult right Mm. you mentioned competing like what what's how do you compete with poor i don't like don't you just spin on the thing like yeah you do yeah (laughs) um there's actually 
quite a few different competitions with pole. So it depends on what you want to do. So right. I'm actually, I'm a doubles champion. Well, so two people on the thing at two the same time? Two people on the pole. So there's a, so you get marked on um, kind of like your interaction with someone else. What kind of story are you developing together? Um, how many like lifts you do. So one person has to hold the other person up while they're on the pole. Um, and you have to have like so many of those elements and you get points for each one, depending on how hard they are. Hmm. Um, synchronization. So, you know, how, how well you mirror each other's moves and things like that. And you have so many elements of that kind of like any sport you have to hit like a certain number of elements and you yeah. get points for each. Wow. When did you win your championship? Um, nationals, we got bronze, me and my doubles partner, Jill in 2020. So right before COVID. Oh my God. Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah. Like the last, the last regional competition Nova Scotia had was the day before lockdown. Oh my god. And gosh. we were all competing and we were all kind of worried because we knew what was happening out in the world. Um, and it was a great night. And then the next day the world shut down and it was, it was so weird that that was kind of like the last quote unquote normal thing mm. that happened. So. Hmm. And uh, do you remember what the story was that you told that you uh, got, uh, you know, your championship? Yeah, our nationals one, we did um, Dream On by Aerosmith. Oh, right, right, um, right. So Jill, Jill's 20 years older than me. So Jill's 57 and she is a badass polar. Am I allowed to swear? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, so she's a badass polar. So um, she was kind of this washed up rock star and I oh, was right. her reflection, her younger self. So a lot of our moves were mirrored as if she was actually looking in the mirror and seeing her younger self in her glory days. Um, so the whole story was that... That's sad. It is, but the story was that... Oh, okay. She didn't lose that. Right. She still kept the... Yeah, oh, so right, 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 I, right, I pull right, her right, through right. the mirror and she reclaims all that as uh, if it's not really gone. See, I should have waited to listen to the end for uh, the end. Okay, 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 okay. Because I'm like, oh my God. Okay, right, right, right. Oh my God, yeah. Um, I watch a lot of America's Got Talent, and yes. the things those people do on the pole is like is crazy. Right. I think one of the most difficult things is where they can like you know this is the pole, but they kind like you know kind of stay straight. You know, like this is the pole and this is the person, but instead of kind of being on the pole like this, they do this. And their whole body standing out on the pole like this. I'm like, how do you keep your body that straight? And you only so support your body with your arms. Yep. Yeah, so that one's called a flag move. Oh, literally like a flag, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a fun one. Oh, my God. So, I mean, you've been doing it for nine years now. Like, why do you still do it? Because you must know all the things by now, right? I do. Um, I like teaching now oh you teach yeah uh, well so, you should have said that <laughs> so i like uh because i have so much competition and show background with pole and i don't i don't do that anymore because i have injuries and things that kind of prevent me hitting that level injury from pole or something else yeah from oh. overuse yeah man that's the one thing about being a human being you know you do something over and over your body's like oh, okay yeah, yeah, it gets in the way of all the fun, right? Right, because my brain wants to do it, and my body's like, "Yeah, mm -mm. you can't anymore. <laughs> you need to step back." But teaching's a nice way to kind of pass all that on and get to see other people 
um, really elevate in their pool journey and gain confidence. Um, I, I love watching students gain confidence. You teach, how often do you teach? Um, I teach once a week right now. So Wednesday nights I teach, um, I teach heels where you have the really big heels. Okay. Um, so like, is that where the focus of the class, like you have to have the heels to do the class or? No, um, you can, you can do lots in pole without heels. Um, that's just kind of one aspect of it. Um, and it's one of the like earliest elements that influenced pole. Um, when we talk about things like the effects of strip clubs and sex workers, um, and their influence on, on it as a sport and an art. So yeah, that's the thing. Cause like, I mean, the lay persons before Instagram and TikTok and all these things, like Years and years ago, the whole thing is that it's just, it's, you know, you just see people, like, how, what was the journey from, it, or was there a journey where it went from the street pole to, like, now it's an exercise? What happened there? Yeah, um, in the 1990s, um, somebody, and I, I'm unfortunately forgetting her name, um, I should know, because it was part of my training when I got my certification, um, but in the 1990s, somebody decided to take it out of the strip club and try it as a... A fitness class and it just caught on from there and it's been growing ever since wow okay and um well so what point did you decide to teach and what was the process of going from uh i guess student to teacher um i started teaching in 2018 um and it was literally just um my pole partner jill was was doing her certification and i was like well, that sounds fun. I think that's going to be the next step in my journey. So I took the certification with her and started teaching at the studio. Um, and then, yeah, just kept building. I really enjoyed it. So I started investing a lot of my time into professional development in teaching. So um, I got several other fitness certifications, which really bolster my ability to, to work with students um, in pool. My brain is just running now because, like, so, so it's, it's expensive, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both as a student and to like invest in right, certifications, right, it is right, not cheap. Yeah, but I mean, it's fun though. It is fun. Okay, okay. So you you do that, and then how like your social media is crazy. Like, has it always been like that? How did you decide to like go from you know that negative experience you had when you started to now like most of your social like social media is. I mean, you put all that things there, but it's mostly you on the poll. Yep. Yeah. So it's mostly stuff that I teach my students that appears on my social media now. Um, and that's choreography and moves and things that I, I kind of want to share with the world. So if people want to borrow routines I've put together and try them in their studio um, with their students and stuff, because um, that's where I get a lot of my inspiration, right, is I follow other pole dancers and I'm like, oh, that's a really cool move or I like how this person um, constructed this part of their choreography. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna work with my students on it. See, see where it goes from there. So it's mm -hmm. a lot of, um, like synthesizing things you've seen with kind of inspiration you get. I'm a very music driven person mm. when I, when I choreograph and when I perform. So I need to feel the song. So oftentimes I'll sit at home with like a list of songs that I've chosen and go through them and be like, which one is my body moving to right now? <laughs> um, and that's the one that I'll, I'll like choreograph to. What was the last one? The last song? Um, so la this past week we did um, Do You by Troy Boy. Okay. Um, I don't it's got know a good it. beat. Okay. What, what about that beat called you to be like, ah, that's the one? Um, it's, it had a good beat drop. 
Oh, right. At like the 42nd mark. And I was oh, like, oh, that's well. so specific. Yeah. Well, you sit down and you spend a lot of time counting out, oh. you know, how much time between things that way. So like basically after time it, I was like, okay, but at this part of the song, my hand has to be here. And this part of the song, my leg has to be doing this. Is, is that kind of what you do? Um, I'm more of a, at this part of the song, I want to throw my body over there somewhere oh, because the music tells me I need to like right. do something crazy in right. this moment. So, um, so it's a lot of that. Wow. Okay. So then there's this other part where you uh, like becoming PhD, which I'm like, like <laughs> school is, you must really love school. I love school. <laughs> what do you love about it? I like learning. Right. But you don't need to get a PhD to keep No. But I figure if they'll continue to pay me right. to learn things, then who, who wouldn't want to do that if, uh, okay. if you like school? So um, what, like, is your PhD part of, like, because, you know, there are some people that do one degree in this thing and one degree in the other thing. Is your PhD, like, a different degree from every other thing you've done, or is it, like... No, I've been doing English from the very beginning. What? Why? I like books. Oh my god. So you must have like a huge bookshelf. I have a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Before we get to that, what, you know, going back, like how did you fall in love with books? Um, funnily enough, I grew up in a household with no books. Oh. Um, like I think uh, my mom's read like two or three in her whole life. Um, so I grew up in, in that household without exposure to books. So in schools and when I met friends who were prolific readers um, and having that access was like, it made me very hungry mm -hmm. for the stories that I was reading. Um, and it's just, a, a, you know, escaping into those stories um, and then being able to study and talk about those stories mm. um, in an educational setting was, was just wonderful. So I, yeah. I'm a very slow reader because it took me so long to like get access to like big novels and things like that. So I read very slowly, um, but I do really enjoy reading. Well, Alexandra, was that the one? I stopped watching the show, but I think Alexandra is the one where was it's not the governor or like. No, it's after the governor. Okay, so the so, next one where they moved is like a bigger place. and yeah. but, but then the zombies still came in though. Yeah, and okay, they, but, they always do, right? <laughs> but, but what did you talk about Alexandria? Because I think I know that. That's the one where it's a, there was a girl. That's the season with the girl where just survived somehow, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. I know that one. Okay, so what, how would you talk about that? So these spaces that are named after something utopic like like Alexandra and Fiddler's Green. Um, and you probably see this in like regular, when people name buildings downtown, they always have these like epic names that make it sound like it's some sort of paradise. Mm -hmm. It's like that. So everyone wants to go there because it's, we, we told you that it's a paradise. Mm -hmm. You know, we're gonna name it after heaven. So you wanna go there. Um, but the zombies also want to go there. So it's it's this idea that these spaces are ideal and desirable because we've named them after something that we associate as the really paradise. Amazing, yeah. Um, so they become more than just a safe place from zombies. They become the place that everyone wants to go, the White Tower, the, the like mansion you want to own, the American dream. Mm -hmm. um, but in doing so, it also carries with it the fact that, you know, that American fear narrative 
everyone wants what we have. So we have to kill everyone. So we have to kill everyone. So we have to protect it. But inevitably, in doing that, it will fall. Because of, yeah. Yeah. Human beings will always human being. Yeah. Um, and uh, as weird as it sounds, a lot of what I did for that project um, was using the theories that came out about the Twin Towers right after 9-11. Like what theories? Um, about how, not you know, the Twin Towers are that epic, desirable space. So we're going to shut it down. Really, really high. So that's what people aim for when they want to destroy something is the most desirable thing that we've created. What did you call your, I guess, research? I don't know. Like, you know, did, did it have a name? That one was called Dining with a View. Because <laughs> you're out there and you're enjoying your food, but the shit is the, coming. The zombies so eating what, all the rich what was people. Your, what was your, I guess, conclusion? Um, so that one was just ultimately, you know, the idea of naming these utopic spaces after, after you know, creating utopic spaces means that you're inviting the zombies in. So wait, if they created the places and they didn't give them names, would that make any difference? That's a great question. I mean, if it was named after something awful, would you want to move there? Yeah, like if, if they didn't even give it a name, like, okay, so thinking of The Walking Dead, there was one of the places, the Terminus, do you remember? Yes, Where yes. The, the people that eat people are actually living there and stuff. But like the terminus is also, I think if the name is the there's a there's a thing you know like if you know that th there's a place to go to, but if we build this place and we didn't tell anybody or maybe just but the thing is once you tell someone the person will say tell another person and then everything comes down. So wait, why zombies though? Like is that what your all all your like studying has been about? Like. Pretty much, I do a ton of other research on the side in other areas, um, like I'm part of a group called Thinking Through the Museum, so I do a lot of work on critical museology. Wait, 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 wait. Thinking through the what? Museum. So what is, like, what, what, I just started getting to museums recently, which is like, it's great, but yeah, so what, what does that involve? So that is, it's a massive project, and I'm like this one little person on this massive project, because there's like 40 to 50 researchers internationally. Mm -hmm. um, like we have people all across Canada, South Africa, Poland, um, all working together on this massive project. And ultimately, the goal is to talk about and work with museums to see how we can be better when we represent um, people and their histories. Um, so as... as um, because I'm an Indigenous scholar, so I work with a lot of museums talking about how can you better represent Indigenous peoples, how can you make sure their voices are part of this, this story, how can you not exclude us, um, things like that. So next week, um, I'm actually doing a virtual call with um, a museum in Leiden in the Netherlands um, about their Indigenous collections, and it's me and a couple other researchers from this team, and we're just going to have a virtual chat with them and talk about some of the images um, that they have in their museum, some of the ways they've framed their exhibits and, and just how can they do better? How can we do better? Hmm. Um, That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so, and then how did you get into doing that? Um, this was actually a professor of mine from my first year of my PhD. I took her course on gender and genocide and it was a great course. And I wrote a paper 
um, in that course on Jenna and Jenna said he's a great. It's a very course. well. It's a very depressing. Course. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I I cried a lot. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it was a very illuminating course. But like with genocide, don't they just kill everybody? Like, does gender count? Um, yes, because genocide is the attempt, um, with like with intent to destroy a group of people and their culture. Right. Um, and gender plays a huge role in that because one of the systemic oh, ways that they go is... Because the women, they... Separating genders. Right. Um, and you either want to target, kind of like the British did with the Scots way back, um, they targeted the women to kind of breed out um, um, the Scottish people. Um, so gender plays a, a huge role, right? Like in the Holocaust, the first thing they did was separate gender. Um, and, and unfortunately kill a lot of the children. It's a very sad topic. Um, so it does play a role in how it's constructed and how people respond to it and how people talk about it. When people study things like this, what do they use it for? Like, like what, what, what is the outcome? You know, so you study this thing, then what? Um, it, it really depends on which direction you're coming at it from. Right. Um, cause I mean, if you're a sociologist, studying this, you're probably looking at how you can better work with people, intergenerational survivors, things like that, on um, the, their histories and their experiences, right? Mm. Um, in English, I don't work with people, really. Um, I work with artifacts and books. Um, and largely how we talk about something, you think about like a political platform or a commercial that you hear all the time, it becomes natural to you. Um, if you think about, like, a Kit Kat commercial, your brain probably thinks, take a break, mm. right? Um, so when we repeat things again and again, it becomes naturalized in our brains, and that's how we automatically think about something as a result of that. So literature right, and culture does that. Right. So by studying this thing, you can see, this is how we should not, but, but there's also the opposite, though. Yeah. Where you can do the whole, like, but this is how we can use this thing if you want to do, like, the nefarious part of it. Exactly. So you have a lot of power. Because, like, what is power? Like, you know, words are power? So much. Yeah. yeah. And we don't realize how powerful our literature and our film is. Um, we just think it's, you know, it's the arts. Mm. Um, but the arts is huge. And it shapes how we think about the world. That's so cool. That. You're so cool. Um, okay, so so um, you you did like the 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 heaven dining with a view on what that wasn't for your PhD though. Uh, it's just for a course. Oh my god! Just <laughs> but I presented it at a conference um, at one point. One of my first conferences I went to, I presented. Yeah, that that's one, the so. other thing. So you have to travel a lot, I guess, which is pretty cool. Which awesome. which which was the last one you went to? Um, I was in. Montreal was my, or sorry, Toronto was my last one. Um, but that was a two-week one. So I did one week in Washington, D.C., and then a week in Toronto. Um, and that was three back-to-back -back conferences um, I was at. So it was fun. So, like, Tiring. what were you talking about? In D.C., I was presenting on um, intergenerational trauma. Okay. Do you ever do something that is light? Like <laughs> zombies, zombies are my light. I don't know if zombies are like, like where you dig in it, but okay, okay, okay. So intergenerational trauma, yeah? Yeah, so that was a very depressing one. In Toronto, I presented on um, a graphic novel, which was also on, on 
uh, genocide. So that wasn't very light. Wait, um, a graphic novel about genocide? What yeah, was it it's called? a Betty, the Helen Betty Osborne story. Who's that? It's um, she was um, a Cree woman who was killed when she was nineteen out in Manitoba. Um, so it's an early case of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Is there a layer of you being Indigenous and studying all these things? Like, does it make it even more difficult than if you weren't Indigenous? Do you know what I mean? Um, that's a hard question. Because um, I think the topics I talk about, I probably wouldn't have spent time with mm. if I didn't know I was Indigenous. Um, so knowing I was Indigenous took me in, in the direction of, of difficult topics. Um, and sometimes I find it really hard because it is very emotionally exhausting. Um, and like I said, it's, it's funny because zombies are my like safe space because they're not real. Um, so it's, it ends up being the place I like to go. Horror is just like campy and fun. And it's got like that metaphor of real complex issues mm. and, and social problems um, and how we should face them. But it's still fun and campy at the same time. Mm. So you can look as deep as you want um, or you can just stay with the, the gore and campiness and hang out there you and know, that's safe. Yeah. Um, so talking about uh, America's God, Lenny, The Walking Dead, why did you think it had so much legs? Like, why do you think it became the phenomenon it was? I don't know. But do you still watch it? Um, I'm rewatching it now. I stopped uh, partway through as well because um, I did find it was getting a little boring and slow and I had trouble keeping up with it. So I stopped and just kind of left it for a few years. Uh, the graphic novels are much better in my opinion, um, but I also read them long before the show came out. Um, so I'm, Was that also for war or school? Originally, no. Um, it, they are my first comic books I ever bought huh. for, for myself. Um, and that's kind of what got me like really hooked on comic books uh, for a long time. And when it came time to do like a big research project in school, my supervisor sat down with me and, and she was like, what do you want to study? Because you have to write like a 75-page paper. And I was like, well, I have no idea, <laughs> right? Like, what am I going write, to write about for 75 pages? And she's like, well, what could you sit down and talk about for like a whole year? And I was like, well, I like the Walking Dead comic books. And she's like, well, that's your area of research. And I was like, all right then, okay. <laughs> so, okay, okay. And then, I mean, doubt. You know, so your supervisor says that. How do you now find what you're going to research within the world of The Walking Dead? Um, I don't do much with The Walking Dead now. Okay. Um, I do a lot with all the other other zombie things that are out there. Um, I still come back to it and include it because it is a formative part of, of the zombie canon in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to talk about zombies without thinking at least about The Walking Dead and, and knowing what it's brought to, to the subgenre. Um, but, yeah, just new things come up. And we look at it in a, from a different lens every few years, right? We're now looking at it from the point of view of actually living in a pandemic. Right. Um, and that totally changes how you view things from 20 years ago. <clears throat> I mean, in what way would you say it changes? So? Um, I think it's, we're being able to notice how people dealt with contagion in a fictional world. Mm. and how we dealt with contagion in the real world and understanding, you know, what works, what doesn't, um, and thinking, man, if we approached it this way, would have thing, would things have been different with mm. COVID? 
Um, and what other areas get illuminated by that? Mm-hmm. Um, so what else does COVID affect besides just the virus? What kind of social issues does it unveil? That people can be dicks, I guess. <laughs> Nobody knows how to share toilet paper. <laughs> I remember doing the thick of things. Uh, there was this video a guy made and he's like on the street, you know, as if he's dealing drugs, but it was a toilet paper he's trying to sell. <laughs> I was like, yeah. one, I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I can't like, what? Like, I don't I didn't understand that one. Like of all things to hold though. Yeah. Like how many times are you using the washroom? God, anyway. Um, oh wait, wait, wait. you didn't say what why you think Walking Dead became what it was. So the Walking Dead when it came out, and it came out in comic book form, so you kinda have to think about the importance of comic books at the time, is zombies were banned from comic books. Oh. For many decades, because people thought that, you know, it was too gory and we shouldn't face death and, and things like that. So zombies were largely banned from comic books. And when Robert Kirkman made The Walking Dead, he and some other um, comic creator friends um, developed Image Comics as a place where it was free from the comic code authority and they could write about what they wanted to write about and they retained ownership of their stories in ways that if you wrote for the big companies, you didn't own anything, right? It wasn't yours anymore. So he could write about something that hadn't been talked about for a long time because people weren't allowed to talk about it. Mm. So it brought us into a world that resonated um, with us because it had been silenced. And then when it came out, it came out in what, 2003? Was right on the heels of 9-11. So America's culture was rooted in fear of people they didn't know, fear of your neighbor, fear of of everything, right? So it, it was a place where people could talk about fear and face fear head on. Um, and it was, for the most part, clear who the monster was, mm. um, at least until you started meeting people like the governor who are like very charismatic and you don't realize how monstrous they are until it's too late. Um, so it really was a way of, facing, working through those fears um, in a kind of a type of catharsis. Um, So people really needed that Mm. at the time. And The Walking Dead was a place for that to happen. So since then, it's sparked just such a huge movement. It's not that we didn't have zombie narratives before, because George A. Romero's work is is beautiful. Um, And he wrote from the 60s on, and he has a a lot of really wonderful films that he created. Um, It's just that it was when it came out mm. was just something that it was the right time. So timing really does count. It does. Um, <laughs> I mean, have you seen Jeff Barnaby's Blood Quantum? No, so but Jeff, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So Jeff Barnaby was a Mi'kmaq filmmaker, um, and he passed away just last year, unfortunately. Um, but he created... Oh, there's an award named after him. Is that the yes. person? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's an arts film award yeah. uh, that just came out. In his okay. name. Okay. So he created Blood Quantum. He wrote the script for the film many years ago. And when he initially tried to pitch it, nobody wanted it. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought it was, what's the point of having this this zombie film where indigenous people are immune to the zombie virus? We don't want to talk about that. <laughs> In 2019, when early things of COVID started, rumors and all that um, was happening, all of a sudden everyone wanted to fund his film. 
Um, and that's that's when it came out. So it came out because it's culturally relevant then when it wasn't a couple years before. Mm. Um, and that's totally changes anything in the arts and, and literature and film, right? It, it has to speak to something we need now. Um, we need to talk about it. That's hard work, though. Like, because, I mean, unless you make the thing happen, you don't know, you know? Yeah. Like, unless I, I cause COVID, I don't know it's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Fuck. And that's probably a struggle that, you know, filmmakers and authors go through, right? Yeah, right. Right. Because they were like, uh, you know, it's not the right time or, you know, anyway. Block, so did you write about that in any of your, of your, I guess, research or? Uh, Blood Quantum? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Blood Quantum is, um, actually, I have an article coming out in a book, um, hopefully later this year on Aboriginal and Indigenous Gothic. And I've got um, a chapter on blood quantum in there. And it's also a significant section of my dissertation is about it. So what is your, what do they call it? Like, is that the name of your, like the dissertation is your PhD thing? Is that, yeah. what is what is it going to be called? Or what is it called? Uh, or? I'm not entirely sure. It's probably going to be like dot, dot, dot of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, talk about Romero and remakes. There's the one that the Superman guy made. Um, Dawn of the Living. No, anyway, so like, is the one where everyone is in this uh, mall? And then at the ending, they all die anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's Sex Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Um, which was a remake of... of I actually really love that film. It's good, eh? I love everything about that film. I I hate the ending. Because it's like... I, I like happy endings. Like, he should have not ended when they got on the boat and left. Why did they put that in the title credits? In the right? credits, like... And it's an interesting shift because that's not in the original. Oh. The ending in the original is kind of happy in that you don't know what happens. Right. Them, right. Right. So leave the thing up like, okay, they made it versus, oh shit, everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you didn't really, you didn't really need that. No. Just like going off into like, yeah. who knows where is great. And that's but, how a lot of them end. Right? I, and, I, and I think what I loved about that, it was like, okay, yes, it's, it's scary and stuff, but like, everybody's reason like every everybody's action I, I could understand it yeah like so it feels like that that i love where you know there's like you know i get where the bad person is getting is coming from and and i think but the one that really really like took me a bit of a, a mental gymnastic is the guy that he really wanted his baby do you remember the guy yeah oh man Oh, man. Like, he was willing to... Oh, man. But it was a good movie. Anyway, so, so like, now you are... I mean, it seems cool that you get to watch all these things and travel around the world and talk about it, but it's still a lot of work, though. How do you, I guess, navigate all that work that you have to do? Like, your, your fingers will be tired of typing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, yeah. Um, no, I'm just... I'm a really good multitasker and I'm a busy person, so I like to be busy. Mm. Um, so it's days where I'm not busy where I, I, I kind of falter because oh. if I don't have 10 things going on, I don't know how to approach my day, oh. um, which is probably not healthy. That's okay. <laughs> as long as you know how to take care of it, then that's fine. You figure out how, how what works for you. So 
When will your PhD be done? Um, hopefully uh, late fall, mm. um, if not early winter. Um, so we don't have a date set yet for me What's to What's the plan though? Like once you get your PhD, like are you gonna... I actually already have a job. Oh, what is it? Um, I'm a, an assistant professor now at Mount St. Vincent. So what is your course called? Um, so I'm teaching, right now I'm only teaching um, a couple intro courses. I'm also teaching climate fiction. Um, but in the future, I'll teach like American mm -hmm. lit and indigenous lit. Okay, so we'll get to those. What is climate fiction? Um, it's just stories about... Like Day of Tomorrow, Day of that Tomorrow. Yep, that would be, uh, that would be climate fiction, so... How do so, we interact with the world? So wait, because now my my brains. So how do we? Because um, to me, like it's like you go and read English, then you write a novel or whatever. But it's like you are doing something different with it. Is, is this something that I guess uh, an opportunity that exists to everyone that decided to study English and people just because to me it's just like oh you you study English you write that's it. But it's what you want to write about, right? Like, right. if you think about, like, any English department that you've gone into, some people f focus on, like, Shakespeare, some people focus on Jane Austen, some people focus on zombies. We're just not as common. Right, right. I, you know, it's almost like, oh, fuck, that, you, you, that's the thing you can do, shit. So is there, like, uh, sci science fiction and the rest and stuff like that? Yep, huh. yep. So zombies are kind of a cross between science fiction, um, horror, and more traditionally what we would call the gothic. Um, so if you think of Frankenstein, there's an argument to be made that Frankenstein's creation was a zombie, mm. right? Like he was raised from the dead with all the body parts put together. and Yeah, that lady's mind. And that's another thing I used to think about, you know, when I'm like... How do you even come up with that idea, you know? Like, are you ever going to write a book? Like a, like, a, like a fiction story or? Um, I don't know. I like to write short stories. Um, and those are kind of a cross between fiction and um, kind of inspired by events Things of my life. Happen. Um, so I do write short stories on the side when I need, like, a relief from the academic language. Right. Just to throw something because in academia, you don't use a lot of like ad, um, adverbs and adjectives. You don't use a lot of descriptors because you're trying to be objective and this sound is... objective. So they kind of sit in your brain where you want this overflow of what, what beautiful it, words. What? <laughs> why, why does it have to be objective? Because you kind of have to back it up or versus I'm just making shit up. and Yeah. Oh, wow. Because wow. I mean, if I say something like, well, that film clearly exhibits this, then I have to prove how it clearly exhibits it. <laughs> Where if I just say that film exhibits this, then I don't have to prove that it's clear. Who's it clear to? Why is it clear? How is it clear? Those kind of descriptor things change the meaning so much. What's a typical class like when you're in front of, how do you you know run your class? I don't know, is that the thing? How do you handle your class? What, what What's a typical class like with you? I like I like a lot of discussion. So I tend to have a lot of visuals and a lot of pop culture references um, that relate to ideas and texts and theories that I teach. Um, and then I try to use those as talking points to get people just thinking about how they want to talk about text and, and film. 
So it's a very like relaxed, normally open class. Okay, so uh, English, indigenous literature. Tell me a bit about that. About indigenous literature. Indigenous lit, yeah. Um, so indigenous lit. I've only taught one course so far, but I will be teaching it again in the future. So I taught um, indigenous autobiography. Um, so we talked about what autobiography means. Um, is it a colonial term? Is it something that we can we can harness from an indigenous perspective? And if we do, how do we do it differently? Um, so when a lot of indigenous autobiography that I've read tends to be multimedia. So it's not just I did this and this in my life and met these people. It's that interspersed with poetry, interspersed with indigenous language. Um, so how are indigenous people writing about similar topics as non-indigenous people, but what are they doing differently? Um, how do they transform our understandings of other literatures? So the, the autobiography, is that written by indigenous people about indigenous people yeah autobiography the term means writing about yourself oh okay um biography would be is writing about someone one? else oh okay 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 so what is that just like the indigenous way of like you know um this is how i'm gonna write this story and then they mix it that way yeah and a lot of the differences between based on my experience with indigenous autobiography versus non is a lot of it's not just about the self, it's about community. Right. It's about the people that have influenced me just as much as it is about me. Does it matter if it's autobiography from like, you know, I don't know how far back versus an artist that, you know, it's from five years ago? No, it depends on the course. I like to do a scope. No, no, no. I mean the writing style. Like, mm. is it, is it, is it the same way whether it's this uh, person that wrote about themselves from 50 years ago versus someone that wrote about themselves from five years ago? Um, absolutely, yeah. Like, it's going to change with time. It's going to change with events. Um, and we're living in a weird world where the self is always present. Um, you got to think the selfie didn't exist, like, 10 years ago or so. Um, probably longer than that, 20, 20 years. Mm -hmm. When did we get Facebook? <laughs> Yeah, I think about <laughs> Yeah, so the selfie kind of emerged alongside Facebook. So we think about ourselves differently than we did uh, 50 or 100 years ago. So mm. we're going to write about ourselves uh, differently. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, it's as if I'm taking your class now. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> One thing I wanted to touch about was that uh, you didn't even know you were Indigenous. Mm -hmm. And how did this discovery happen? And... How did you decide to navigate that? Yeah, well, I feel I feel really dumb about it because I look indigenous. And I feel like I should have just known that. <laughs> so uh, no, I was uh, I was at a bar drinking with one of my cousins, and my cousin was like, "Hey, that guy that's on your birth certificate, did he officially adopt you?" What? And I was like, "What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Did he adopt? Should he?" like isn't he my father right, 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 right so I was like wow that's that's an awkward conversation and so my mom picked me up from the bar and I was like all right mom you're gonna have to level with me who's my real father right. <laughs> she's like ah oh, damn okay <laughs> so she drove me home and we had a tea and she told me the story of my biological father and the person on my birth certificate was a close friend of hers right um who agreed to 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 like be on there and make claims to to my parenthood growing up. So 
Um, so when that happened, I, uh, yeah, there was a lot of kind of reclamation going on there, trying to figure out what that meant. Um, and I grew up in a place where um, there was a lot of violence and everything. So I, I didn't, it's horrible to say, I didn't like the idea of being indigenous because I grew up in a place where we didn't get along all the time with the indigenous people because we were constantly in contact and, and there were fights and brawls and everything in my neighborhood. Um, so it was coming to terms with also my preconceived notions of what indigenous meant because mm. um, I had a lot of negative stereotypes mm. um, as a lot of people do. So I had to try and uncover why those were negative stereotypes work through them because they literally affected how I felt about myself. Mm. Um, so since then, I've, I've worked hard understanding the, the culture, mm -hmm. what that means, um, trying to build connections with the community. Um, and yeah, it, it's just really cool to have that kind of part of my identity that makes sense with, mm. with where I grew up and how I grew up and um, how I approach the world. I just kind of like thought about the world in a, from a very indigenous perspective the whole time. Mm. Um, so it's it's weird and it's something I'm still always coming to terms with. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when you grow up um, outside the community and are trying to make those connections, you always have that insider outsider. Yeah, yeah, status, that's what I was right? going to say. It's like, you know, is it difficult to build a relationship or the trust versus, you know, it's like, especially coming from, I don't know how long ago it was you had this, this you know, you found out and you had this, net, like, as in, did you feel bad, I guess, you know, because like, I don't, but whoa, wait, shit, um, this person, you know. Yeah, initially I, I, I didn't like it. I was very resistant. Mm. Um, now I'm very proud mm -hmm. of that part of my heritage. And it's really hard in this country. We have um, a high number, unfortunately, of people who make false claims oh, to indigenous identity. Yeah. So I can understand why communities themselves are always hesitant about inclusion mm. um, because you don't know what someone's trying to capitalize off of. Mm. Um, so I was at a thing, I was at a, I don't know, learning a film thing, course thing. And one of the films that we were talking about was like about an indigenous, by well, you know, mixed race. It's like one parent's indigenous and one isn't. And but it was it was a really tense discussion because the story was written by someone that wasn't indigenous mm -hmm. and it, it was so tense. Uh I mean, well, you know, it it was like a really welcoming place, but you could tell that. And and I'm curious, you know, like with this thing. So say this I'm I'm black, right? And I'm and I wrote Blood Quantum, and what you know, like the, that entire film. Would it be a big issue for you? It depends on what it is, right? Like, um, and I had this actually. Actually, I had a conversation with someone the other day because um, we were talking about beaded earrings, um, and they oh, have yeah, a lot yeah. of beaded earrings from from indigenous friends. They're not indigenous, and they were like, "When is it okay for me to wear my beaded earrings?" And I'm like, "Whenever you want." <laughs> I'm like. You bought them from Indigenous people or were gifted from Indigenous people to support um, those aspects of their culture. Like, they're beautiful. Mm. You're not claiming Indigenous identity when you wear them. I'm like, but something like um, a ribbon skirt. 
you wouldn't be allowed to wear a ribbon skirt because that's a ceremonial. Right, right, That's right, a ceremonial right. garb, right? And it's only to be worn by Indigenous people during certain times. So understanding that balance between what is appropriation, because I don't understand what that thing is, mm. and what is support and what is like elevating culture right um like buying a piece of artwork right like right versus, versus painting saying, it and i'm the person it. that made this shit exactly oh, i got it got it but then some you know someone is gonna say but i'm gonna make it in the reserve res oh my god i also found out that there's a difference in reserve and reservation one is u.s and one is canadian yeah. i was like what what anyway um you know i was like i'm making it in a reserve i'm just gonna use this and you know when you add those pieces then it it becomes a different conversation versus i'm just gonna go make this thing i was like it's really enlightening um i guess the other thing also is that how to get people to stay open to educating themselves about yeah. indigenous matters like how do we get there yeah, that's a really hard one, right? Because um, we're not only asking them to learn a history, we're asking them to think about the world differently. Um, and that is the hardest thing for anybody to do. Um, it's the hardest thing for me to do, right? Like when someone challenges how you think about the world and asks you to change that, mm. you're like, but I was raised this way. I learned mm -hmm. this way. Mm -hmm. Why are you asking me to think differently? Mm. Um, and it's because when you think differently, um, you're incorporating other perspectives. You're understanding how people around you think and be the world. Um, and the indigenous, uh, in Mi'kmaq uh, particularly, there's a concept called uh, two-eyed seeing. Um, in Mi'kmaq, it's called Etawaptamak. And it's um, developed by um, some of our elders. And um, it's about looking at the world through two eyes. One is your indigenous way, but one is, is a Western way. So when you take both perspectives and you kind of identify with both and understand what both are doing, how much more illuminating is the world? How much more do you understand the world by looking at it from different perspectives and putting it side by side and maybe putting it together into something greater? Mm. Um, so that is the biggest challenge is working through um, misunderstandings. So a lot of people don't understand that indigenous approaches to the world, indigenous knowledge is for everyone. Mm. Um, it's not an appropriation to think about the world that way. Um, it's a celebration. So we have to get through stereotypes and misinformation first. Um, and then there's learning. So there's unlearning and then learning mm. that comes as part of that process. Wow. Okay. Something like now, uh, what was the last short story you wrote? Um, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote like a short horror story um, about, yeah, it's, it's horrible to say a little girl who, uh, her parents don't come home after a storm and she lives on an Island. Um, so she goes out in the boat looking for her parents and, and, and they were already gone. Yeah. Oh, she's fine. She sees them. She, she finds their, their yeah, graves. Remain. Oh, graves. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they just died in the storm. Yeah. But they were gone for a while. Oh, a right. Weeks. Oh, I thought it's like, okay. 
Did, did you write because of the flooding or? No, this was before that. Oh, 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 okay. Fuck, okay. That, that would be a horrible place to find inspiration. I'm sure some people are and working through it right. from like poetry and short story perspective um, mm. might be too soon, right. I think. What, what is your approach when you want to write a story? Um, usually it's just I have an idea and I need a break from academia. So I'm just going to like sit down and start writing and see what comes and if nothing comes, then it's not time to write. Hmm. Okay. So no muse, inspiration, nothing. If it comes, it comes. If not, I, I have all these papers to work on. Exactly, right? <laughs> and if all fails, I have the pull. Just <laughs> <laughs> take a break. <laughs> Go do a fitness class. Okay. So, I mean, you have all these aspects of your life, right? And um, I guess because you need to be busy and stuff. But uh, if you need to relax, what do you do? That is no pull, I guess, because that might be relaxing to you. But... Um, I like uh, paddleboarding, which doesn't... It is more relaxing in that it's not like you have to go far, you have to do it hard, whatever. You just kind of get on and just like mm -hmm. mosey around a lake. Um, so that's kind of my relaxation mm -hmm. uh, where I disconnect from the world. And if you've ever been like sitting in the middle of the lake where it's quiet... You can't hear anything on the shore, so it's very peaceful. Okay. Um, so that's that's my my go-to. So water, okay. Um, so someone is out there. Last one for you, because uh, I'm I'm just taking a class now. I'm taking Krista's class. Well, last one for you. Though. <laughs> someone is out there listening, and they're like not sure what to do because they love books or they love writing or they want to study English and stuff, but they don't want to be a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> what would you tell that person? I mean, they could join a book club, mm. right? Or start a book club if, if, they, if they don't know one, right? People just hang out and talk about books for fun. Um, so that's a good starting point for that. Um, mm. If you want to try poll, come to, come to class. It's fun. And your class is all days? Uh, my class is Wednesday, um, but we um, I'm not teaching a level one right now, but we do have a bunch of level ones starting. So for people who have never taken it, ah, so join you, us in September. So you're a level what? Um, I teach intermediate level. Oh, so the next, so is what was the steps? We have we have five levels in the poll curriculum, and then after that you're intermediate. Oh, <laughs> and then once you've been intermediate and have like slammed through like intermediate moves and killed it, then you'd be advanced. Oh, uh, advanced is the top Ad of the Advanced pop? is mostly instructors. Oh. Because um, we do we do crazy things just for fun. So right now I'm learning flying pole and that's what really cool. Are, what is that? That's where it's not connected to the floor. So it's only connected at the top, so it swings. Oh, right, 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 right. Again, I've seen someone do that. It's, it's, it's dangerous though. It is, but we have mats, and when you have people that are certified, that are teaching you, mm. then it's it's safer, right? Um, because they know how to teach it. They largely understand the body. Like when I did my pole certification, I had to do anatomy. Um, I had to do cueing. I had uh. to do um, injury prevention. Um, so it wasn't just learning how to teach people pole moves. I have to understand Everything. all of this other stuff to mm. make sure that I'm doing it safely and well. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. I know I said that was the last one, but I asked another one. I well ask this one though. Do, do you know that the Walking Dead now has new Walking Dead? Like new, yeah. like. Do you think they'll ever end it? Or it's like Probably making not. so much. 
It's making so much money. They're like, oh, we need a new one. Oh my well, god. When Robert Kirkman wrote the first issue, in the introduction, it says this will be the zombie movie that never ends. Oh. And I think like the comic books ended a couple years ago, but I think the show's just gonna go on as long as people will watch it. Right, because cause you know that the guy, like the main guy, the cop, the sheriff, whatever, he's actually gonna get his own film with the ninja lady with the sword. Yeah, Michonne. Yeah, the two of them, they're gonna get their own movie. Oh, and I then didn't the hear other, that. Okay. Yeah, and they're gonna get their own movie. The other ones are in New York. Yeah. The other guy's gonna go to Paris. What the f- What? Man, if he's making money, it'll just keep making it. Well, if you watch World Beyond, that's the two two season spinoff that they did. There's a hint at the end of that that it the zombie thing originated in Paris, which I think is why Daryl's going there. Oh, he wants to find out to mm. end it. It's not gonna end like the 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 there was an ep, there was a season where they went to the CDC, but it blew up. Do you remember this yeah. one? Anyway, uh, oh my God, I, I, I need to have you back because I'm really learning so much. Um, but Krista, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm not going to try to pull because I hate how you chaff your ties a lot. Yeah, but if you do it enough, then you lose feeling and no, you can't even tell anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. This was really fun with Will Allen. Thank you. Thank you.